Cat Disgusted is a show about veterinary nursing. It is not a show about how to cure your sick pet. If your animal is sick, take it to the vet. Don't be a crazy person and use a podcast to cure your puking cat, dog, chinchilla, etc., etc. I think they would tell you the same thing. If they could. Which they can't. Which makes it hard. You know what's up. Take them to the vet. Greetings, ladies and gentlemen. It's time for the best of times and the worst of times in veterinary nursing. What the hell are we doing? Well, it's Chihuahua snapping feral cats flailing all while working with the baddest bitches in the business. I'm your host, Nicole Dickerson, RBT, and this... It's how our week went. Hello, everyone, and thank you so much for tuning in uh, again to Cat Disgusted. Um, I want to, to do a quick little episode uh, before I go on vacation, uh, which is very exciting. Cue the applause. Um, I'll be in Europe for a couple weeks uh, visiting my cousin who lives in Barcelona, and then I'll be going to Portugal, to the capital, to Lisbon, uh, where they eat a lot of sausage and dried cod, which I am very excited about, actually. Uh, and they do a lot of music there called Fado. Uh, I'm, I'm very excited about that in particular. So uh, I want to leave you with uh, a little tidbit uh, during my hiatus. Uh, we've had a couple cases come through the hospital that have been um, from the toxin xylitol, uh, which is an artificial sweetener. And so I thought we could talk a little bit about this. I feel like about the cases. And then also, you know, in order to kind of uh, do this episode, I had to look up exactly what xylitol is and like how it works. And I feel like I learned something and I wanted to share it all with you. So uh, this episode, we'll talk about xylitol, the artificial sweetener. there's there's no question that that xylitol is is a weird thing uh it's a, a totally artificially produced substance like it, it does i actually learned that it does occur in uh in small amounts in nature uh xylitol is what they call a sugar alcohol and so uh it's like the and what that means is it's like it's got all these c's and h's and o's in it like if you look at the the chemical uh, like the chemical signature of it. There's a better word for that for those of you who do chemistry, where it's like the sequence of like CHO2 parentheses HO3 CH CH something something. Um, so that's the that's the the sugar alcohol that it is. And so where it actually occurs uh, naturally is in the fibers of some uh, fruits and vegetables. So the things that they distill it from uh, will be corn husks, uh, sugarcane. Oh, there's a weird word for this. It's like sugarcane bagasse or something like that, which is this French word. And it means all the the leftovers from sugarcane. So all the like fibrous stuff. Like have you ever eaten sugarcane and you kind of like suck all the juice out of the fibers and then you're left with this kind of thing that only goats really want to 
chew on like that. That's, that's where the xylitol is. Um, so what happens is we figured out how to in, industrially concentrate this stuff uh, by hydrogenation. Now, I looked up hydrogenation to kind of like try to get a concept as to what that means. It basically means adding hydrogen essentially is what it is. Um, but that's as far as mama got because then it got real chemically crazy. So uh, if you're curious, just go ahead and wiki hydrogenation. And if you can explain it to me, that'd be great. <laughs> so uh, what happens, so the industrial complex of food science basically concentrated uh, these, these xylitol sugar alcohols so that we can use it in food products. Now, why would we do this, right? It seems like a kind of a crazy thing. So this artificial sweetener, it has less calories than sugar. Um, there are dental benefits, which is why you find it in sugarless gum all the time, like Trident, like, you know, they're like to choose Trident and prevent cavities. Well, there actually is something to that because what it does is it promotes remineralization. Oh my God, there's a word that's going to be hard to say. Remineralization of your tooth enamel. So when you get cavities in your teeth, it's because, you know, the bacteria and all your little alive friends in your mouth, they're eating through your tooth enamel. And that's why you get caries or cavities as we call them. Um, so what xylitol does, it actually promotes building your enamel back up. Uh, so it prevents cavities. So that's a happy thing in the human modern world. Um, it also has what's called a low glycemic index. And I had to look up what glycemic index was. So they call it the GI if you're looking in diabetic um, literature. So what that means is it's like this scale of zero to 100 as to how much your blood sugar is going to spike if you eat something. So um, the xylitol has a much lower glycemic index than sugar does. So it's safer for diabetics. So that kind of makes sense. So it's like, you know, if you're, because if you eat something that spikes your blood sugar and you're diabetic, um, you don't have a way to deal with that. So you're going to be like, you're going to be like um, Julia Roberts in Steel Magnolias, like drink your juice, Shelby. Um, oh, I guess that was the other way around though. That's okay. I get to make a Steel Magnolias reference, which makes my day. So uh, the, so the low glycemic index happy for diabetics. They don't have to worry about having as much insulin because they're really crappy at making insulin uh, in their bloodstream in order to have a sweet thing. So that's happy. Um, so what does it do to dogs? Right. So acts differently in dogs than it does in people. Um, what happens to the dogs when the dogs eat the sugarless gum or they eat the um, hard candies or they put it in peanut butter these days, which is a cruel joke, dude, because lots of people use peanut butter to use uh, to pill their dogs, like to put the pills in peanut butter and they're putting it in peanut butter now, which is kind of sketchy. So what happens is the dog's pancreas, it confuses xylitol with real sugar. So the pancreas doesn't know. Um, that it's not real sugar. And so what the pancreas does is it dumps insulin into the dog's bloodstream because it thinks it's getting a big dose of sugar, but it's not. It's this artificial sugar. Um, but the xylitol, it has less calories, right? Lower glycemic index than regular sugar. And so what happens is that pancreas that just dumped all that insulin in uh, to the bloodstream, all that insulin, it eats up all the sugar that's in the dog's body. So all of a sudden, 
all of the sugar that you had, like making your brain function, um, that ha- like keeping you upright, keeping you balanced, keeping you like a dog, um, is sucked away. And it can happen within like 30 minutes of eating, uh, of eating some kind of xylitol products. And what you see is hypoglycemic shock. Uh, and what that looks like is weakness, uh, seizures, uh, disorientation. Um, there's the, there's the drink your juice, Shelby. There it is. There it is. I referenced it scientifically correct. That's good. Drink your juice, Shelby. Um, tremors. Uh, what we, you can actually see uh, liver necrosis in really severe cases. But I thought that I thought the liver necrosis had something to do with the. Um, with the hypoglycemia in some regard, but we actually don't really know why that happens. Like, and it happens with extremely high doses, like 10 to 20 times a a toxic dose for a dog, uh, is when you get the, the liver necrosis. And so it may have something to do with the, with the blood sugar burning up in the bloodstream, but I don't, I don't, we don't know for sure. Um, they can also in extreme cases have trouble clotting their blood. So a lot of times what you're running on these dogs when they're in the hospital is like serial blood panels, like checking their liver values, like their ALT and their AST. Um, you sometimes will check if you know they've ingested a, a buttload of this, of this substance of xylitol, then you'll check what's called, um, a prothrombin time or clotting time for them. And if that's prolonged, then you know that you're dealing with a really severe, uh, severe toxicity of this thing. So I found a dose uh, in the literature that I that I was able to access online as to what was toxic for dogs. And so 0.1 grams per kig is a, is toxic, and a stick of gum is like 0.3 to 0.4 grams. Um, so like you know you could s- roughly like a stick of gum is a toxic dose for like a 10 pound dog type of thing. But I feel like we routinely will see dogs that eat the gum out of purses, you know, and then that's, I mean, you know, usually you keep like a pack of gum in your purse. And so we were, you know, I feel like most of the time, if we're dealing with um, this kind of toxicity, then uh, we're dealing with a higher dose than the 0.1 grams per kg. The liver death thing, that happens at like a gram per kg. So that's a significantly higher dose. Um, what do we do when these dogs eat the xylitol? So most of the time, I feel like thankfully these guys, the owners realize that it's happened before they become, uh, symptomatic or clinical as we would say. Uh, so a lot of times we'll get a phone call in the ER that says, Hey, my dog, I left my dog in the car while I went shopping. I feel like that's like primarily what we hear with these xylitol cases. Now that I think about it, that's like what they all start with. I was in, I went in the store and I left my dog in the car alone and he got into my bag and he ate a pack of gum. And I don't know how much was in there, but it was, it was, you know, I just bought it yesterday. So there was only one or two sticks missing. Um, and so they drive the dog to the hospital. Uh, we induce vomiting so they can get most of that, most of that gum up so they don't process as much xylitol. Um, and then what we have to do is we have to put them on intravenous dextrose and we have to check their blood sugars frequently while they're in the hospital. And a lot of the times, if you do this in enough time, you're not going to see any change and the dogs are rather frustrated with this situation because they're like, dude, I had a snack and now I'm in a freaking metal box with tube sticking out of me. What the hell? So I feel like those poor dogs, I always feel bad for like the Lily ingestion cats and then the toxicity, the xylitol toxicity dogs who don't, aren't symptomatic because they're like, what's up? I had a snack and now I'm in a metal box and all these strangers are poking me with needles. It really sucks. What the heck? Um, Lily ingestion and cats, P.S., whole other episode. So stay tuned for that one. Um, Don't let your cats eat lilies. 
that that's all I'll say for now. It's real, real bad. So we put them on the intravenous dextrose. Uh, you want their blood sugar to stay, you know, 120, 100 is kind of where we like blood sugar to be um, in a normally functioning, functioning dog. Um, it can dip below that by all means. Um, and we'll still, but if they're not clinical, like if they're not having the tremors or they're not having weakness or disorientation, I mean, we'll kind of allow that to happen, but primarily we're putting them on a, um, a drip of dextrose. It's about two and a half to 5%. In extreme cases, we can make it higher. Uh, but usually if you're going above 5% dextrose, what you want to do is place a central line, which means, uh, an IV catheter that's going into one of the larger vessels closer to the center of your body. Um, because that, dextrose, that sugar water, uh, it can be really bad for your peripheral veins. It can start to irritate them a lot uh, because the concentration, it's a hypertonic solution. So the concentration of that liquid that's going in your veins is higher than what your body is, uh, which means that you're going to have like fluid moving across membranes like crazy, like, you know, like, like higher concentration to lower concentration. So it causes what we call phlebitis, which means that your vessels are really angry uh, with that type of, with, with that type of fluid. And then if that fluid gets outside of your vessels and is subcutaneous, bacteria love nothing more than warm, moist, sugary places. So they're at a huge risk of infection, uh, if they have a bunch of sugar filled fluid sitting underneath their skin. So that's real bad. Um, speaking of central lines though. So, uh, something that's fun for the technicians is that if we're doing a lot of blood sugar checks, like a whole lot of them in a row, um, better than, you know, with people, you can kind of like stick the little needle in your finger. Like, you know, the diabetics will have that little gun thing that goes, and then it has a little, um, drop of blood that they use for the glucometer, um, harder to do in dogs. And like, you know, funny, they don't, they don't like things poking them repeatedly. Weird. Uh, so what we do is we actually will place, um, a single lumen central line and it's essentially, I like to call it the glorified IV catheter. Um, but what it does is you place, um, a short IV catheter, like you normally would in a, in a vessel, in a peripheral vein. So in one of their legs, and then preferably a, a rear leg. It's going to be a rear leg. Um, and then you thread a longer catheter into that short catheter all the way up to uh, their caudal vena cava where you can get blood samples. So now what you can do is you can use this long catheter that's nestled in your little short guy um, to draw blood every two hours, every hour, every half hour if you need. Um, and you don't have to stick stick the animal with needles repeatedly. So, and also if you're dealing with a toxicity that's really severe, like you're checking clotting times and you're checking liver values, you know, if you're checking clotting times, you really don't want to be like piercing vessels, um, every six to eight hours. Cause that's just, it's, it's just like poking holes in a garden hose and it's just going to leak everywhere. So if, if that's the problem that you're having, um, so yes, the, and we call them sampling catheters cause primarily that's what they're used for. Uh, you can run IV fluids in them if you, if you have to, you know, I would expect that if we had an animal that needed like 10% dextrose, which can happen, um, we could give it into one of these, um, one of these single lumen central lines and not cause them a lot of phlebitis, a lot of like vessel inflammation. Um, placing these is, I think it's fun. Um, I think most technicians that I work with think it's also fun. Um, if you're doing it on a dog that is 
unaware of its situation, <laughs> you know, like a like a young Labrador retriever um, that ate a bunch of gum in the house that had to be shipped off to the hospital. Um, it can be a challenge to have them keep still because we do have to do this sterilely. Um, when we're placing IV catheters that are peripheral, we do not wear gloves in the veterinary field normally, unless there's something really nasty. Um, it's just, you know, there's not there's not as much risk of like of, of transmittable diseases between dogs and humans like there are with humans and humans. So veterinary technicians tend to not wear gloves for a lot of the things that human nurses wear gloves for. However, um, placing one of these central lines, we absolutely are wearing gloves and they're sterile because if you're introducing a catheter into your central venous system, the last thing that you want to do is like drag your dirty ass hand across this central line and basically inject bacteria into the center of the dog's body. Um, you can cause things like, I mean, you could get, uh, you can get bacteria on the valves of your heart, uh, you know, like all that, all kind of badness. So we do it sterilely. The last one that I remember doing was on a, a young, excited dog. And so uh, one of the other nurses in CCU ha has to hold the dog. And then I have to shave up the it's one of the rear legs, um, get it sterilely prepped. And then I have to put on my sterile gloves and I have to place the short catheter and then kind of have the packaging all kind of opened and ready to go with the long catheter so that I can thread that guy in there and then tape it all in place. And we place a, a bandage over it. So it looks all clean and pretty. So all those things have to happen on a dog that's being held down on the ground. So it can be exciting. Um, so Bailey was doing an admirable job. But, you know, Poochie was kind of like, well, I'm on the ground. I don't understand. I just got to the hospital and now everybody's holding me down. What the heck? And so fortunately, as soon as he starts to like wiggle and I've got my sterile gloves on, I'm sterile. So I can't touch him. Right. Because it's like, you know, the legs are like pinning. But as soon as I touch him, then I have to like reapply my gloves. I might have to like get another catheter. So um, miraculously, another technician popped out of like a hole in the floor. I don't even know where she came from. This is Marcy. Marcy. Marcy works at UC Davis. She's fabulous. And she works relief on the on the weekends for us, which is such a gift. And so she sees me and uh, Bailey, who is the nurse who is helping me. She, see, she sees us struggling with this like pinwheeling leg dog trying to place this sterile thing. And she's like, oh, you guys need some help and kind of just comes over and just holds the front half of the dog. Well, then Bailey can focus on holding the leg still. So that was kind of a miraculous thing. But then... Uh, as I'm as I'm getting it all, to, I, I get the catheter in. I thread the long catheter in. Everything is fabulous. Um, it samples really well. Flush it. Make sure it's all happy. So then I have to bandage it. But the vet wrap that I chose was this really crappy vet wrap is this elastic bandage that we use um, to cover the outside of bandages uh, just to keep it nice and clean. I chose a crappy one, so it didn't tear very easily. So I was like, hey, Marcy, can I borrow some of your uh, one of your scissors? And she's like, oh, yeah, 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 sure thing. And she reaches into her like purse thing like her little like little nurse pack we sometimes wear these little fanny packs it sounds nerdier than it really is but it's actually pretty cool you can fit a lot of stuff in there and um she pulls out this like bunch of stuff and it's all hemostats which are not scissors they're just like little tiny clamps but they're all clamped together there's like four of them and she's all here you go wait that's not what i wanted i try this again so she puts down the hemostats i'm like okay and then she gets scissors then she gets oh here we go here we go and she gets out bandage scissors except it's not just like one thing of bandage scissors it's like four of them on like one of those zippy janitor chain things so then i'm like fumbling with the scissors and like the dog's getting over it i'm like what is this like i'm like what else do you have in there like i asked for some scissors and marcy starts handing me like christmas tree ornaments like <laughs> ridiculous uh but we did i did choose a scissor out of that swiss army knife of 
of on a key ring that she had and we placed a bandage and it was all good and we didn't have to poke the dog a bazillion times and uh and and that was happy but that i thought of it because it, that was the second dog that day that had to have um a sampling catheter placed for xylitol toxicity so there's just been a run of them lately um Another one that that I remembered, which was, uh, this was a really bad one. So we got this phone call that said there was a dog that was unresponsive in the back of the family's car that needed to come into the hospital, get a gurney. So like we run out there with the gurney and there, I run and this it's this minivan. And it's me and, and uh, another nurse uh, out there with this gurney. And the guy kind of leads us to the back of the minivan. And he opens up the back of it. And the first thing that I see is this like giant black dog, just like totally no movement at all on this blanket in the back of this minivan. The second thing that I see is like, four sets of little eyes that are all peeking over the back seat of this minivan, um, looking at me, looking at the gurney and looking at their poor dog. And it turns out this guy has four children, four children that came with him, one that was at home that was too young to come. There were four, uh, four girls that were all there with this poor dog. The first thing that I thought was, oh my God, this dog is dead. Because it was just laying there and it was so drooly like there was so much drool coming out of its mouth so I like lifted up the dogs so first of all I looked to see if the chest is moving if we're breathing and I saw it breathe great I don't have to ask about CPR that was the first thing that I thought of and then I lifted up her her lips and it was really slimy but kind of light pink so her heart's beating okay so we took the dog inside um and we had of course started immediately with a couple things. We immediately place an IV catheter. We give her some oxygen, but this dog is literally just laying there breathing, but not doing much else. Um, we check, uh, we draw blood and then, uh, we checked a blood sugar because that's one of the first things that you can do in a lateral, laterally recumbent animal is check their blood sugar because that's one of the things that can happen. And sure enough, her blood sugar was unreadable. Um, we see dogs come in with like, you know, 60 and they're tremoring or it'll be like 40 and they have a seizure. But like when it's unreadable, it's like beyond that. So our theory was that she must have eaten something. Like, why would she be healthy otherwise? And then the owners, they uh, they brought in this chewed box with them. So I go out there to talk to them to see, like, you know, how did you find her? What's the story? And he has this cardboard box in his hand. He says, she ate this. So we don't know how many were left in there, but she ate this. And I see this box. And sure enough, the top of it's all wet and gooey and chewed. But it was weight loss powder. What? It's like some weird thing where it's like these packets of powder that you put in a drink, I guess, and you drink the powder and then you're less hungry or something, or it's supposed to make you lose weight. I mean, total, you know, malarkey, but that's what this dog had eaten. And so we look at the back and sure enough, there's xylitol in the weight loss powder. And so immediately it becomes apparent she's in hypo, she's in a xylitol induced hypoglycemic shock. Um, our theory was she probably, cause she ate this within like a three to four hour window when the family wasn't home. She'd probably have been having a seizure. Like she'd probably seized at home after eating this powder. And that's why she was so exhausted. So like we're seeing like the post, what we call post-ictal phase and hypoglycemia. So 
what we did, uh, we gave, we bolused her dextrose. Now you can put them on the drip of dextrose, which is the constant drip of 5%. Um, we gave her like boluses of 5% to begin with. So large amounts in a short period of time. Um, and we, and we moved her into our critical care unit where we could, uh, place a sampling catheter. So we didn't have to stick her for sugars a bunch of times. We did run clotting times on her and I believe they were like high end normal. So they're kind of getting there. Um, and she did have a little bit of elevation with her, um, with her liver values, although not at that time, it takes eight to 12 hours for that to happen when their liver starts to necrose like that. So it was the next day, um, in checking her, her liver values that we saw that there was a little bit of an elevation in her ALT, uh, but correctable, those things can be fixed, which is great. Uh, so she, so she actually, that first night that she was there, she never got up. Like, I mean, she kind of started to like twitch a little bit when you kind of were touching her face. I remember, um, oh yeah. So she received all these fluids, right? And so then Kristen, my, my coworker, Kristen was going to, she was the one who was placing this, uh, long catheter in her back leg. And so because she was moving a little bit at that point, after she got in these sugars, I was kind of holding her head. So she didn't like pop up and like move around, uh, while Kristen had her sterile gloves on and Bailey, the same, same nurse that was helping me with the other dog was on the back end of the dog. So we get the sampling catheter in, we're all good. And we're kind of like, okay, is there anything else that we need to do before we just kind of leave her be for a while? And Bailey goes, ah, and we're, we're like, what, what, what? She goes, she's peeing on me. <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh, okay. Okay. Cause she was like sitting right behind her. And of course we'd given her all these fluids. So her bladder must've been huge. That's probably why she was moving around a little bit because she's like, oh, I really got to pee. So, uh, Bailey, who was kind of sitting basically in the cage, with the back end of the dog just kind of sat there and felt a, a slow and gradual warmth creep across her scrub pants as the dog peed on her. But being the unflappable nurse that she is, didn't phase her at all. Thankfully, we keep a spare a scrubs around. Um, the last uh, xylitol story that that I very much enjoy has to do, uh, with a, a French woman who is, uh, brings her little Bichon to, uh, to the internal medicine department. And he's a known diabetic. So the first time that I met this little Bichon was when he came into the clinic for uh, diabetic ketoacidosis. Uh, so what that means is, um, or DKA, uh, it means that he, he had so little, like he had such, such, hyperglycemia from not being controlled well with his insulin, um, that his body was using, like he, he was basically making ketones out of the fats in his liver. So he was becoming very acidotic, um, it, because his body can't process the sugar. Um, it kind of defaults into, well, what else do I got? Oh, there's a bunch of fat in this liver. That's some energy. Let's do that. So then they start to process the fat in the liver and then they get, and the, the acidosis makes them pant and it makes them really, really weak and lethargic. Um, and they have to go into the hospital and be on intravenous insulin, have their blood sugars checked, uh, you know, a lot. Uh, diabetic ketoacidosis is like an intense hospital case. Like you see one of those come in, all the nurses are like, 
ooh, we gonna be busy. Um, and it takes days to resolve. So I remember this little dog also because he was impossible to get an IV catheter and it was so hard. Like, I feel like we must've poked that poor little guy a bazillion times. Not young either. I think he's like maybe like eight or 10 or something. Um, but I enjoy his owner because she's this kind of large, low-voiced French woman and uh, she loves her dog, but she has money concerns. I'm not going to spend thousands of dollars on this dog. I spend thousands already. So she, after that whole episode of uh, of DKA in the hospital, she then was much better about bringing him for appointments and monitoring his blood sugar at home and giving his insulin on time. Uh, so... <laughs> I got a phone call and our pagers went beep, beep, beep. And I saw, um, I saw the name pop up on the pager and I recognized it right away. I was like, oh my God, this is that French woman's dog. So I get on the phone and she's like, hello, I have a question about my little dog. He comes and he sees your internal medicine department. Uh, uh, he's vomiting. I'm like, oh, okay. And, you know, vomiting in a diabetic animal is not great because it means if they're eating food and they're getting insulin, but then they're vomiting, it's like they're not processing any sugars. And so you could get them, you could give them insulin and then they don't have anything that the insulin is going to use. And so that can get a little bit wonky. Um, so I asked her, I was like, well, has he... He, he, has he eaten anything unusual or has, oh no, you know, I don't, there's, there's nothing today, not eat anything unusual today. He wants to eat his dinner, but then he, uh, he vomits on the carpet and I don't know, I'm not bringing him there. And I'm like, okay, ideally, you know, ideally we'd be like, well, if your diabetic animal is vomiting, then he needs to come to emergency and be seen because we don't want him to get we don't want his blood sugars to be all out of whack. Oh, no, no, I'm not to bring him there. No, no, I spend this money and I manage him at home now. And no, 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 I don't bring him there. No, uh, but he did. He get into my purse, this little dog. He get a couple of days ago and he eats this gum out of my purse. But that was days ago, days ago. And I'm like, oh, he, wait a minute. So he's vomiting. He vomited today, but he ate gum out of your purse a couple days ago? Oh, yeah, yes, but is the, today the problem is not problem a couple days ago. It's nothing. It's not that thing. I know you know what you're thinking. That thing is not that thing. And I was like, okay, well, the thing I'm going to ask you about is if was the gum sugarless gum because there's that chemical xylitol, which can be very bad for dogs. And I'm thinking in my head, I'm going, oh, God, oh, God, oh, God, like a diabetic animal that has a xylitol toxicity. I don't even know what we would do with that, right? That's, that seems crazy, crazy. Then she says, she's like, no, no, I look on the back of the gum. I look on the back of the gummy. I don't see this word, this, this xylitol word, no. And I was like, okay, well, do you still have the package of the gum? Because I, it's spelled with an X. I know it sounds like a Z, xylitol, but xylitol starts with an X. And you should look on the package of that gum and make sure that that's not in there. Okay, I look, I look, I see the thing. Oh, here it is, I see. And I hear her like kind of scruffling in her purse a little bit, you know, to get the... um to get the gum wrapper and then she's like I put my glasses on hold on and then I see this thing okay okay I'm reading I'm, I'm reading it now I read the okay you said it begins with what with a z and I'm like no no xylitol it has an x it starts with an x x y l i t o l oh yeah okay let me see no there's no oh 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 now okay okay now I see this okay oh well that's days ago though huh hmm, it seems okay to me and I'm like oh my god how much, how much did he well I don't know I don't know how much was in there I don't know it seems fine now you see I see him right here he's happy he's wagging his tail he just ate dinner you see I got him his insulin he's fine 
I'm not bringing him there. <laughs> okay. 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 Well, you watch him then. But I have to tell you, and I had to go through my whole spiel of like, you know, xylitol is a toxin. And I can only advise that your dog be seen in the emergency room if he ingested xylitol a couple days ago and he's a known diabetic. Um, but she, she said she was just going to watch him at home. And uh, I had to tell the doctor about that. I told her the whole story. She was like, oh, my God. <laughs> like, yeah, pretty much. Um, but, you know, that little dog didn't... Uh, yeah, uh, Miss French Lady didn't bring that little dog in, and I haven't actually seen him in a while in the ER, so he must be doing okay. Uh, so it, it kind of goes to show you, and this is something that I've heard a, a, a internal medicine doctor that I used to work with at my old job say, it varies a lot with the case as to how much that toxin is going to affect them. Um, she said that she has seen like a full-size standard poodle eat like half a stick of gum and be comatose, like that black lab that we got out of the car, comatose. And yet she's seen like a chihuahua that ate an entire pack of Trident and even though he was hospitalized, was never clinical. And you'd think you'd be chasing, you'd be chasing that sugar load in his blood, in in his bloodstream the whole time he's in the hospital. But that guy was totally fine. So there's a weird thing about it. Like I love that I found a dose that was online at the uh, ASPCA poison control website because I feel like you have to have one. Like you can't be like, oh, oh, I'm sure it's fine. He's a we don't we don't really know what the talk what the dose is. No, we do. We do. We have a dose. Like we know it's bad. Um, but it is very, very much case to case as far as what the dog's individual experience is and how much medical care they have access to and what other things are going on, um, you know, in their, in, in their, in their bodies. Like, I mean, diabetic little dog, it's like, you know, his blood sugar is perpetually high, right? Cause he can't make insulin. So he eats this thing that drops your blood sugar, right? Cause it dumps insulin into his bloodstream. He was probably feeling more normal that week than he had, <laughs> his entire previous five years. It's kind of a weird thing. So I like to think that, you know, he was okay because he had all these other metabolic problems that kind of balanced everything out. Um, much to that French lady's uh, satisfaction because she did not need to bring him into emergency. I would like to close uh, with uh, a vein of puncture of the week because I thought we had another really good one. Um, I feel like this is cause for this nurse to celebrate, celebrate, celebrate because this was super awesome IV catheter placement. Um, so ladies and gentlemen, I bring you vein of puncture of the week. Music make you lose control. Music make you lose control. Let's go. Story starts. Uh, we had another bulldog come into the hospital with upper airway disease, uh, upper airway obstruction. So these are the I I feel like these ones make me really nervous. Like I know I've said that before uh, on this on this podcast that like the upper airway disease always like that that always gives me the jitters a little bit because it's just it's so it's so dangerous and it can go so bad so quickly uh so i was actually working with another patient um with the previous venipuncture of the week winner uh jen hurley and we heard this bulldog coming down the hall like it was like 
like just like it was breathing through a drinking straw basically and just drooling everywhere um this bulldog was walking on its own, but not for long, the way that that sounded. So, of course, you know, uh, the rest of the nurses and the doctor descended upon this bulldog to, to try to um, to try to get it some air. Uh, and so what that really entails, because this poor dog was so stressed and was panting and drooling, um, ideally kind of what we're going to start with is getting, uh, getting this poor thing oxygen and also getting it some sedation, uh, because some sedation like butorphanol, which also works well, um, it works well as sedation, but we sometimes use it as a cough suppressant. You know, I feel like that that's going to be the drug of choice. Sometimes acepromazine will work too, which is just a sedative. Butorphanol has some pain control properties. So that's why um, the doctor chose it this time around in case what she's experiencing is painful, I could imagine. We didn't really know what was going on with her otherwise. You know, I mean, the history was she had been vomiting. Um, and so we guess, you know, bulldogs get aspiration pneumonia. We guess that that might have something to do with it. But the way that it was presenting was just her throat was just closing up. Um so this bulldog is a fairly large bulldog, like, you know, like, and they're, they're like, you know, they're like neutron stars. They're, they're, they can be small, but dense. And so, uh, we didn't want to, they didn't lift her onto a table. They kept her on the ground. She was a big girl. And, uh, one person held oxygen by her, by her little snubby face. And then, uh, someone else held her leg out. And then, uh, the winner of the vein of puncture of the week, uh, which is, uh, my, my nurse friend, Crystal, um, she was the one placing the IV catheter. So basically if you can envision this, it's like everyone is like on their knees, crouched over around this dog that has, you know, bulldog legs, these short little stubby muscle legs. Um, so everyone is way down low to the ground and Crystal trying to get to this leg, the dog is just drooling and panting and making all this noise in her face. So she's basically standing on her head, looking at this stubby bulldog leg, getting drool, just dripping all over her with this dog breathing noise into her face. And she managed, uh, much like in a previous vein of puncture of the week uh, winning situation. Oh, that winner was also present for this. How about that? That would be Amanda Falk, who was also present for this bulldog catheterization. She had a good bulldog catheter. must have been spirit of the room. So uh, Crystal got a catheter into the peripheral vein that she could see in this bulldog. Um, and that catheter stayed in there the whole time that she was in the hospital. The bulldog actually got much better. Um, she, she did have aspiration pneumonia. Um, she was in the oxygen cage sedated for the rest of the night. And then by the time I came in in the morning, she was out of oxygen. She was sitting in a cage. She was just on some regular IV fluids and, um, she had a red dot on her name tag. And I was like, Oh, she's not nice. And they're like, yeah, no, not really. I'm like, how about that? She must be feeling more back to her normal self. Um, so good outcome. I feel like, you know, placing that crystal standing on her head, placing that catheter in that stubby bulldog leg, getting a drool bath saved that dog's life. So Crystal Lynn, Venipuncture of the Week winner, without question. And that's going to do it, you guys. That's that's going to do it for uh, for the Cat Disgusted until I return from my journey overseas. So maybe I'll get some good animal stories overseas. You never know. Um, there's a, there's an amazing aquarium in Lisbon, which I'm not going to pass up. It's the biggest in Europe. So, you know, I'm going to be there. Um, and maybe they have a hospital. Wouldn't that be fun? <laughs> I don't speak any Portuguese though. So I'd be like, um, fish not for eating. 
hospital maybe <laughs> so uh thank you guys for tuning in once again uh i'll return to you all shortly and uh maybe we got maybe i got my next idea for the next show since we touched on the uh no lilies for cats no lilies for cats by the way to you know to make up for the time when i get to tell you about why that is no lilies for cats um so thank you very much ladies and gentlemen uh tune in next time uh remember do not come and see me at work So hot, I